0: It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. After the podcast, check out our other episodes, all our Bible study resources, videos, download the CQ app, and more at ChristianQuestions.com. Today's topic is, is a near-death experience a glimpse of heaven? Coming up in this episode, have people really seen a glimpse of heaven and lived to tell about it? Is God revealed in that powerful and peaceful light that so many have reported seeing? We'll walk through the experiences, the science, and the scriptures to find reasonable and powerful answers to these questions and more. Now, here's Rick, Jonathan, and Julie.
1: Welcome, everyone. I'm Rick. I'm joined by Jonathan, my co-host for over 20 years. I thank God for the privilege. And Julie, a longtime CQ contributor, is also with us. Hello,
2: gentlemen. Hello, gentlemen.
1: Jonathan, what is our theme scripture for today's episode? 2 Corinthians
0: twelve, three and 4. And I know how such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, God knows, was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which a man is not permitted to speak.
1: NDEs, near-death experiences, are common. They've been reported from cultures and religions worldwide for hundreds of years. In this near-death scenario, there's usually a dark tunnel at the end, of which is a warm and calming light. Often there are deceased relatives waiting in that light to receive the person going through this near-death experience. Sometimes the person feels and sees themselves leave their body. Now, at Christian Questions, we've always held that the Bible teaches that death is the absence of life. So, could these NDEs, these near-death experiences, be shedding a different light and proof on this subject? Are these experiences showing us a gateway to the supernatural, or could they in any way be physiological? One way or another, near-death experiences do prove something. The question is, what? So, folks, as we embark on this very, very fascinating subject, I want to just reference you back to uh, podcast 1201, Can the Dead Communicate With Us? It's kind of uh, a podcast that, if you're interested in this kind of subject, you want to listen to both of these together, because it gives a well-rounded view of the experiences that people have, where they feel like they're communicating with the dead, or they're moving into a supernatural realm, all of those kinds of things. So, 1201, Can the Dead Communicate With Us? Our first task today is to clearly define near-death experiences as factually as possible. So, Jonathan, get us started. What is a near-death experience?
0: Well, this comes from the Oxford Dictionary in a noun form. An unusual experience taking place on the brink of death and recounted by a person after recovery. Typically, an out-of-body
1: experience or a vision of a tunnel of light. All right. So it's very much the way we described it. Everybody has this general sense of near-death near death experiences. So, Julie, let's expand our understanding and observations of NDEs.
2: Yeah. Well, it's predictable content. So there's been over 30 years of research, and the same characteristics show up across all cultures, genders, races, religions, intelligence, age, mental health, And we're going to list a few of these that are so common. The first is it's often the experience is too great or too extreme to describe in words. And people report having an overwhelming feeling of peace.
1: All right. So you've got this huge emotional sense to the experience. What else, Jonathan? Well, seeing a tunnel moving through levels is one point, and the next is a sensation of being out of a body. So you've got that great emotional aspect, and now there's this physical thing. There's a physicality to it that is very, very unique. Julie, what else?
2: We There's always a meeting. Well, not always, but there's usually a meeting of non-physical beings, including what's described as a being of light, and there is a life review, a review of one's life.
1: So... Now you've got other people involved in these NDEs. Jonathan, what else? A border or point of no return and a coming
0: back to life with marked changes in attitudes and with knowledge not acquired through normal
1: perception. So there's this sense of if I go further, I'm not coming back. And this idea of knowledge and and a sense of things that you just wouldn't have had through your normal life. So NDEs, near-death experiences, give us a lot to, to work with and say, what is all of this? Because it's, it's not only physical in, in a lot of ways, it feels physical, but it's very, very emotional and very profound in many ways. So there are lots of both positive and negative effects from people having these NDEs. First, let's take a look at some of the positive effects. With, with advancements in medical resuscitation techniques, the frequency of NDEs has increased. About 9 million people, other articles cite higher numbers, in the United States have had an NDE, a near-death experience. So let's just list through a few positive effects. Jonathan, let's get started with that. Well,
0: beneficial transformation follows also a loss of fear of death
1: Next, a strengthened belief in life after death. So the concept of death is kind of put into a box, some kind of a box, because of these NDEs. These are some of the positive effects. Julie, what are a few more?
2: People might report feeling specially favored by God uh, as having a new purpose or sense or mission and heightened self-esteem.
1: So if death is kind of put into a box, life and its meaning are expanded out of a box. So you've got these these different things happening with the NDEs. Jonathan, a few more points.
0: Increased compassion and love for others, a lessened concern for material gain, recognition, or status with a greater desire to serve others. And the next point is increased ability to express feelings,
1: greater appreciation of and zest for life. So in terms of our humanness, these NDEs on the positive side give this clarity to the importance of our humanness. It, it wakes up humanness and puts, puts uh, stuff on the side, so to speak. Julie, three more points.
2: There might be an increased focus on the present a deeper religious faith or heightened spirituality, a search for knowledge and greater appreciation for nature.
1: So you you read all these things, you think, wow, line me up, I'd like to have one of these, (laughs) because now you've got a greater sense of direction. So, you know, death is put in perspective, life is expanded, clarity of our humanness, and a greater sense of direction. These are the positive effects. But all NDEs don't have positive effects on the people that, that, have them there are some negative effects as well Quoting from an article from the national center for biotechnology information we're going to put some specific sources in the cq rewind show notes for this week uh and so please be sure to get the the show notes to figure out find out where we're grab- grabbing all of this information from because from it's important but there are some negative effects from ndes uh let's see Julie, jonathan let's start what do we have to begin with
0: Well, family and friends may find it difficult to understand the near-death experiencers' new beliefs and behavior, as many of their new attitudes and beliefs are so different from those around them. Difficulty reconciling the new attitudes and beliefs with the expectations of family and friends can interfere with maintaining old roles and lifestyle, which no longer have the same meaning. ND ears may find it impossible to communicate to others the meaning
1: and the impact of the NDE on their lives. So they may experience a great positive sense, but the people around them are like, who are you? What's happened to you? How come you're not the same person? So this great positive thing for this person could be a negative thing in their life in terms of family and friends because they're, they're like living in a, in a different way. Julie, what else do we have?
2: researchers have noted that the value incongruities between NDEers and their families lead to a relatively high divorce rate among NDEers. And the effects of an NDE, quote, may include long-term depression, broken relationships, disrupted career, feelings of severe alienation, and inability to function in the world, long years of struggling with the keen sense of altered reality, end quote. And again, we list the sources in the rewinds. So one other important point, there's also distressing near-death experiences that range from fear and terror to guilt and despair. And in an article from the National Institutes of Health, again, that'll be in the show notes, the, um, it, it said no evidence supports the conventional assumption that good people get pleasant NDEs and bad people have distressing ones saints have reportedly extremely disturbing NDEs while felons and suicide attempters have encountered bliss, end quote. And while a high percentage of NDE reported come from cardiac arrest patients, to say near death is somewhat a misnomer because the sensation can happen when a person is not near death at all, such as syncope, which means fainting. And it's important To even define what death is, you know, the medical definition of death is complicated. In simple terms, death is the permanent, irreversible cessation of all vital vital functions. But there's definitely a dying process before it becomes irreversible. And modern medicine keeps advancing what we call that point of no return.
1: So there is a lot to this, and it's not something you can easily put in a box. Good people have great experiences. Bad people have bad experiences. It's all over the board. And And vice versa. Right. So what we want to do, we, we want to understand what these are and what they are not. That's what we're really going to be digging into with our, our podcast today. So here, here's the question. Can NDEs, can near-death experiences, be used to prove that the human soul is immortal? Does an NDE show that when we die, we instantaneous, instantaneously change for the form of our being? That's a question. That's a legitimate question by these experiences. So let's take a biblical look at that specific question. Let's look at immortality. First, let's define it according to Webster's Online Dictionary. Julie, immortality in Webster's Online Dictionary.
2: To be immortal is to be exempt from death or exempt from oblivion.
1: It's Very simple. Jonathan, let's go to the biblical definitions of the words used for immortality. In the New Testament, there are two.
0: <clears throat> the first word means incorruptibility and unending existence, and the second word means
1: deathlessness. Okay, so incorruptibility—something does can't go bad. Unending existence, deathlessness—that's a sense. That's what immortality means in Scripture. Now, here's the thing about immortality in the Bible: immortality—we're going to see in scriptures—is not part of humanity. And to, to many of us, that I means like you say, what? Listen to the scriptures here. Second Timothy 1.10.
0: But is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel.
1: See, it says Jesus brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. There's a stark contrast in the scripture between life, death, and immortality here. Notice life and immortality are not synonymous, synonymous, and it shows us the different aspects of salvation, which we'll touch on later on in the podcast, but it brings it to light. It means it's not something that you know about. He's bringing it to light. You can say, well, you may have it, and you don't know about it. Okay, hold that thought. Let's go to the next scripture, Romans two seven.
0: To them who by patient continence and well-doing seek for glory,
1: honor, and immortality, eternal life. If you are seeking for glory, honor, and immortality, it means you don't have them to start with. This is an important concept. This is being taught to Christians by the Apostle Paul. You don't go looking for something you already have. We don't have glory. We don't have honor. And the Scripture says we don't have immortality. Now let's build on that with another teaching from Paul, 1 Corinthians 15, 53-54. For this corruptible
0: must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, that then shall be brought to pass the saying which is written, Death is swallowed up in victory.
1: If you look at this scripture carefully, what you see is it's showing us that death is in fact the absence of life. This corruptible, this thing that can go bad. Must put on incorruption, something that can't go bad. So the idea of having immortality within us as human beings is not written in the New Testament. These scriptures, there are several of them, are showing us that this is not something that is inherent. One final scripture that I think pretty much ices this argument 1 Timothy 6 16.
0: Who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto? whom no man hath seen nor can see,
1: to whom be honor and power
0: everlasting.
1: Amen. So it's talking, the scripture is talking about Jesus, the the glorified Jesus dwelling in the light, God which no man can approach. Immortality is a gift. It says who only has immortality. It's a gift. Jesus was the only recipient of that, of that gift of immortality at the time as he dwelt in the light of It's a very specific statement. Immortality is not part of human nature, according to Scripture.
2: The concepts of death and dying are difficult enough for adults. So to help explain it to children, watch our CQ Kids videos called Are the Dead Really Dead? and What Happens When You Die? and other titles at christianquestions.com slash YouTube.
0: And for more detail on this topic, we refer refer you to our two-part series called Where Does Your Soul Go When You Die? Episodes 857 and 861. Just type those numbers into the search bar at christianquestions.com or the free Christian Questions app in
1: your app store. All right, so Jonathan, let's wrap this up. Life, death, and the confusion that surrounds them. What have we got so far?
0: NDEs do raise a lot of questions about what happens when we die. On the other hand, the Bible is clear in its message. Can NDEs
1: and the Bible be in full agreement? All right, so that's the big question we want to ask. Can these things be in full agreement? You know, near-death experiences are not just fascinating, they are compelling as well. What exactly are they showing us?
0: Are there cultural and religious differences when people have NDEs? What would these differences reveal?
1: As we dig more deeply into how near-death experiences work, we're going to see some fascinating variations of the whole process. While reviewing these variations, it's important for us to realize how the power of our human minds shape our interpretations of experiences and feed our expectations. So as we go through this next segment, we want to focus on how we, in in a preconceived way, look at things and then end up getting some of the kinds of things that we may, in fact, expect. There is a universally spiritual orientation of experiences following NDEs, near-death experiences. There are similarities and there are differences. And we find that there are a lot of interesting variations in relation to religions. So in this segment, what we're going to do for a few minutes is take a look at several different major world religions and just see what their recorded NDE experiences are. So Jonathan, let's start with with the general Christian perspective on NDEs. What do we have?
0: Christians report encounters with religious beings such as Jesus, Mary, or angels. Some Christians refute the near-death experience as being a demonic deception. They believe that the entire near-death experience is a trick of Satan to pull believers from the teachings of Christianity and lead them into sin. Other Christians interpret the near-death experience as a glimpse of an after-death state that may exist prior to the afterlife judgment by God.
1: So it's interesting that some Christians look at these and say, oh, stay away from those. They're a trick of Satan. Others can look at them with with the embracing. So you you look at that, and, and with Christians, though, many Christians have this sense of the afterlife, and so they're looking toward something, and they're expecting something, And so that gives us a a basis to start from. Julie, let's go to Mormons. What about Mormons? What's their perspective on NDEs generally?
2: So Interestingly, Mormons report a higher number of NDE per capita of their religion, possibly because they are more encouraged to share such experiences. They report life reviews and judge their own actions while awash in what they describe as the unconditional love of God. They consistently report meeting deceased family members, but uncommon with other religions. They report that they are requested to do something in the world when they return, and they report that they receive religious and other types of instructions from other world beings.
1: Okay, so that's interesting. And and again, it's very consistent with Mormon belief and faith structure. Uh, So you're seeing that when someone has an NDE, it in many ways begins to fulfill what their general religious expectations are. Let's go a little bit further. Let's go to those of the Jewish faith. Jonathan, what, what do we have there?
0: Well, Jews report being in the presence of a being of light and judging their own lives. They report being met by family members consistent with the belief of some Jews that they will be reunited after death with family members in heaven.
1: So that's a little bit of a shorter perspective. And Jews don't have, in, in the sense of general Judaism, there's not a, a great afterlife sense with Judaism. And that's why I think that descriptions are far fewer because you're not looking for something that's out there. And 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 folks, as we go through this, one of the points is to just observe the way religions generally Uh, absorb the information they get from an NDE, the feelings they get from an NDE, because it's going to help us understand what they really, really are. Jonathan, what about the Muslim faith? Well,
0: Muslims have reported seeing and meeting recognizable spirits, conforming with Islamic tradition that the souls of the faithful in paradise welcome the incoming souls. They identify the being of light as Allah. Some Muslims interpret the NDE as a possible glimpse into life after death due to the similarity of the experience with the religious visions of Muhammad and their expectations of life after death.
1: So again, there's an expectation of life after death, and it seems as though... Uh, whatever your faith is that is the the those are the glasses through which you view whatever your near death experience might be and, and julie what about hindus hindus are a very different kind of religion because their 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 basis is very very different from many of that we've gone gone over so far what about hindus
2: Well, that depends on where you're from, and that's been called cultural flexibility, and I think we've been describing a little bit of that even as we've talked. Uh, Japanese Hindus have reported seeing symbolic images like long, dark rivers and beautiful flowers. East Indians often see heaven as a giant bureaucracy, Hmm. and this is interesting. They frequently report being sent back because of clerical errors. So the accounts I've read about this would be like, when you, Jonathan, you arrive at the light, they say – Jonathan, the Christian questions host. Oh, no, no, no. We wanted Jonathan the plumber. There's been a mistake. (laughs) You've got to go back. Um, So that happens a lot. Uh, Hindu experiencers interpret uh, that they have seen Krishna. Buddhists, by the way, report seeing Buddha. And we've got a quote from SanskritMagazine.com. That says this, consistent with Western accounts, some Hindu near-death accounts include a life review. However, whereas in Western accounts, the life review often consists of seeing a panoramic view of a person's entire life, Hindu accounts consist of having someone read the record of the dying person's life called the Akashic record. And in Hindu circles, it's a traditional belief that the reading of a person's Akashic record occurs immediately after death. And this concept is widely believed by Hindus all over India. However, the panoramic life review, which is commonly west- mentioned in Western accounts, does not appear in accounts from India.
1: And that's a, a stark difference because you see, for, for us, Western accounts, it's I saw my life flash before my eyes. And from a Hindu perspective, because the religious approach is to have it read to you that's the way it generally comes across. And so, folks, when we see this, is it coincidence that everybody sees an NDE through the eyes of what their expectations are, or is it something that can help us understand exactly what NDEs actually are made up of? Now, we've talked about several religions. What about non-religion? Julie, what about, what about atheists?
2: So this is interesting. So if your experience is at least partially based on the details of your belief system, what if you have no belief system about the afterlife? Atheists and agnostics who don't believe in life after death generally end up interpreting the experience as similar with their specific culture. Like those in the West, for example, seem to report the traditional characteristics, but with different interpretations. So while Christians might interpret the bright light they see as Christ atheists may identify it as a guide. So curiously, it often changes their perspective. And most atheists and agnostics move towards a more spiritually guided life as a result of their NDE. So those cultural beliefs, though, are obviously somewhere in their psyche.
1: Right, right. So it's interesting. It's interesting. Are we concluding anything at this point? No, what we're doing is we're observing and saying, you have a perspective of life. And very often it translates through that NDE, that near-death experience, that near-death type experience. So we want to put this all in perspective, taking a, a, a view of some big things. Now, I mentioned at the beginning of the segment, our human minds interpret what we experience and observe in ways to fit our core beliefs. That's what we do. We, we see things and we interpret them to fit into what our core beliefs are. And I truly believe that's part of this NDE experience. Recognizing this helps us understand how to view near-death experiences. Near-death experiences seem to perpetuate what some scriptures seem to say about being reunited with deceased loved ones after we die. And, you know, in the Jewish perspective as well, you, you saw a lot of that, that reuniting. And you say, well, why would that be? Well, there's an often used Old Testament phrase, and it's to gathered unto his people, or to be gathered unto thy people. And this phrase seems to indicate a reunion among the dead, and it's used several times in the Old Testament. We're going to give you two examples here and then discuss, well, what does it actually mean according to Scripture? So Genesis 25, 17 to start with.
0: And these are the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years, and he gave up the Spirit and died and was gathered unto his people.
1: He died and he was gathered unto his people. And you think about that when you're gathering somewhere, you, you generally knee-jerk reactions. Oh, we're going to kind of reunion. We're all getting together in that place. Genesis thirty five twenty nine says the same thing about somebody else. And Isaac
0: gave up the spirit and died, and was gathered unto his people, being old and full of days. And his sons Esau and Jacob buried him.
1: So we have Ishmael in the first scripture, Isaac in this scripture, there are several others who are mentioned to be gathered unto their people. Where are they gathered? What does that mean? How do the scriptures, what are the scriptures actually telling us? Well, to figure that out, we need to look at some other scriptures that describe what happens at death with the, the, this type of circumstance. So to do that, let's take a look at um, Deuteronomy 31.16, because what we're looking for is what the Jewish faith taught about death, and, and it specifically begins to unfold in these next few scriptures we're going to talk about. Jonathan, Deuteronomy 31.16.
0: The Lord said to Moses, Behold, you are about to lie down with your fathers, and this people will arise and play the harlot with the strange gods of the land into the midst of which they are going, and will forsake me and break my covenant which I have made with them.
1: So God's telling Moses, now we're talking about Moses, the Moses, you're going to lie down with your fathers. What does that mean? It means you're going to lie down, you're going to be buried, you're going to die. While When you die, this people is going to rise up because you're lying down, you're going to be dormant, they're going to rise up and they're going to be unfaithful to me. Now, that's not a great thing for Moses to hear, but nevertheless, it's helping us understand, lie down with your fathers, gathered unto your people. So you get a sense of lying down, gathered unto your people is entering the grave with them. What does that mean? Well, Let's take a look at Job 14, 10 through 12.
0: But man dies and lies prostrate. Man expires and where is he? As water evaporates from the sea and a river becomes parched and dried up, so man lies down and does not rise until the heavens are no longer. He will not awake nor be aroused out of his sleep. Well, Rick, that first sounds like we're never coming back from death. And uh, obviously we don't believe that. But uh, the Bible talks about the new heavens and the new earth, and we have plenty of evidence in Isaiah 65, 17, Isaiah 66, 22, 2 Peter 3, 13, and Revelation 21, 1, basically brings out that we're brought
1: back to life again. And, and that's good. All of those scriptures are important to have as a basis. But the key of the scripture here is, so man lies down and does not rise. Gathered unto his people, you'll lie down with your father. So you have this gathered unto his people and we can jump to a conclusion, but we need to look at the the rest of the scriptures and say, how do the scriptures actually define what's happening there? And it is joining them in the grave. One last scripture, Jonathan here, uh, Job 7, 21.
0: Why then do you not pardon my transgression and take away my iniquity? For now I will lie down on the dust and you will seek me, but
1: I will not be. And I think, again, you get this sense of, lie down in the dust, you will seek me, I will not be. What happens to a body eventually is it, is it decomposes. And so the idea of, I will lie down and I will not be, death is lifelessness. And that's very, very clearly defined for us here. Death is lifelessness. And even though we may like the idea and this is an appealing idea, admittedly, of being immediately reunited with our deceased loved ones after death, it is simply not taught in Scripture. And it's not going to happen until the future resurrection for the majority of mankind. Now, there is life after death, but it's a future happening, and we're going to get into that further down the road here. So now we have the NDEs that seem to appear to show us one thing, and the scriptures that are telling us a different thing. So Jonathan, how do we put this life, death, and the confusion that surrounds them all together based on what we just discussed in this segment?
0: The details of NDEs vary dramatically, depending on one's culture and religion. This varied perspective fits well with the Bible's unwavering teaching about death being lifelessness. To put these together, we conclude that near-death experiences are not
1: after death, but near death and happen in the mind. All right, so we're making a conclusion here before we uh, go further. And our conclusion, based on looking at the evidence, is that we're saying it looks like, according to Scripture, with Scripture as our foundation for our belief, it looks like NDEs are happening inside of people's minds, not happening after they have died. Now, we're making that conclusion only based on what we have for Scripture and what we've seen for the different interpretations of NDEs. We're going to need to expand that a whole lot further for it to actually hold water as a conclusion. So, you know, honestly, it is easy to draw that reuniting conclusion we talked about earlier. The biggest question now is whether NDEs only happening in our minds is actually provable.
0: Can someone have near-death experiences when they're not near death? What about out-of-body experiences?
1: And now we expand. Up to this point, there may there, there may be many questions floating around as to the validity of NDEs as supernatural experiences that inherently contradict the Bible. As we soon shall see, science And medical understanding will give us an undeniable foundation on which to place our biblical beliefs. So folks, as we are going through this whole process of trying to understand NDEs, we're trying to do it from two perspectives, well, three, actually. We're looking at what actually happens to people and and trying to just put it all on the table, the positive, the negative, the horrifying, the glorifying, the wonderful, and, and the miserable that's there. We look at it from a religious perspective. We're trying to create a biblical foundation from which to build, because we're Christian, and now we want to look at it from a medical, physiological perspective. So we're going to be quoting uh, an article from the University of Edinburgh. A Department of Psychology called, and now now I'm going to read you this title. This is a long title. This is definitely from a medical (laughs) place because, you know, titles, we like to make headlines really short and snappy. Well, here's the title. There is nothing paranormal about near-death experiences, how neuroscience can explain seeing bright lights, meeting the dead, or being convinced you are one of them. There's a lot in that title. So we're going to go to this article from the University of Edinburgh and pick out paragraphs and, and, and statements that help us understand the physiology of what's happening. So part of the introductory paragraph, approximately 3% of Americans declare that they've had a near-death experience. These experiences classically involve the feeling that one's soul has left the body, approaches a bright light, and goes to another reality where love and bliss are all-encompassing. Contrary to popular belief, Research suggests that there is nothing paranormal about these experiences. Instead, near-death experiences are the manifestation of normal brain function going awry during a traumatic and sometimes harmless event. So in this article, what they're looking at is saying near-death experiences are the manifestation of normal brain function gone awry during a traumatic or sometimes harmless event. There are several paragraphs in the article that have a heading. And we're just going to go to each of these paragraphs uh, and and just take a look at what some of their conclusions are. And all of this will be referenced in the show notes. So Jonathan, let's start with their paragraph where they're describing out-of-body experiences. What do we have?
0: Well, recently, Olaf Blank and colleagues demonstrated that out-of-body experiences can be artificially induced by stimulating the right
1: temporal parietal junction. Upon being stimulated, the patient would say something like, I see myself lying in bed. You know, so, so they're, they're getting a sense of being out of their body but it can be done by stimulating the right temporal parietal junction. And I can't believe I said that word correctly. (laughs) Um, So what they're saying is it's a physiological thing if you stimulate the right part of the brain. And that's fascinating to me. I never, never, never knew that before. Julie, what about their paragraph when they talk about going through this tunnel of light that we've referenced so many times?
2: They say these experiences can also be artificially induced pilots flying at G force can sometimes experience a phenomenon known as hypotensive syncope, which usually causes tunnel like peripheral to central visual loss to develop over five to eight seconds. And indeed, such tunnel vision is associated with extreme fear and hypoxia, meaning oxygen loss two processes common to dying.
1: So the tunnel of light experience can actually be artificially induced by different physiological things happening. And, and you look at this and say, okay, all right, you can be artificially induced, but how does it happen naturally? And that's a, that's a good question, and that's something we need to keep in mind, and we're going to be touching on uh, actually much more deeply in the, in the next segment as well, so stay with us for that. So what about, Julie, what about meeting deceased people? What does this article from the University of Edinburgh say about meeting deceased people?
2: Prevalent in fiction and celluloid, meaning movies, is the notion that when we die, we are surrounded by the souls of the dead, Angels or a religious figure in a peaceful, transcendental place. Many neuroscientific studies have shown that brain pathology can lead to similar visions. For example, patients with Alzheimer's or progressive Parkinson's disease can have vivid hallucinations of ghosts or even monsters. And I have definitely experienced this with older relatives who were very much awake and definitely claimed to see deceased people.
1: So again, the idea of meeting deceased people uh, show that brain pathology can bring you there. Now, what has to happen to your brain to bring you there? That's, a, that's an important question. And again, we're going to touch on that more, more deeply in the next segment. But the point is, so far we're looked at out-of-body experiences, a tunnel of light, meeting deceased people, and what this article from the University of Edinburgh is saying is that these are all easily physiologically explainable by stimulation of this, that, or the other thing.
2: And reproducible.
1: and Yeah, and that's the other thing. And they're reproducible. You can stimulate this and get that result. So that's a fascinating way to look at all of this. And I'll tell you, studying this has been a real eye-opener for me to just understand how far medical science has come. It's really, really phenomenal for me to just see how smart people can be when they just dig into human physiology. Jonathan, what about the positive emotions? What does this article say about positive emotions?
0: Well, many medicinal and recreational drugs, however, can mirror the positive emotions and visions reported in near-death experiences. At varying doses, the administration of ketamine can mimic these experiences into hallucinations, out-of-body experiences, positive emotions, emotions such as euphoria, dissociation, and spiritual experiences.
1: So again, you can mimic these positive emotions in a lot of different ways. So we've got the out-of-body experiences, the tunnel of light, the meeting deceased people, the positive emotions, all put in order from a physiological perspective and a reproducible perspective. So now if we go to a portion of the final paragraph of this article, Julie, what does it say?
2: Taken together, the scientific evidence suggests that all aspects of the near-death experience have a neurophysiological or psychological basis. The vivid pleasure frequently experienced in near-death experiences may be the result of fear-elicited opioid release, while the life review and REM components of the near-death experience could be attributed to the action of the locus ceruleus noradrenaline system. Out-of-body experiences and feelings of disconnection with the physical body could arise because of a breakdown in multisensory processes, and the bright lights and tunneling could be the result of a peripheral to fovea breakdown of the visual system through oxygen deprivation.
1: Yeah, Julian, I was just thinking that, that, that bright lights and could be the result of a peripheral to fovea breakdown, you know? <laughs> That's what you were thinking? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, sure. no, I don't even know sure what that means. I don't even know what that means. But, but the point of this is that what they're saying is we understand it. We understand it from a physical perspective. We understand it from a reproducible perspective and from a very human perspective,
2: Yeah, that's great. But skeptics of the science say that while these may mimic parts of an MDE, they aren't quite the same. But again, because death is really a process, not an event, we don't know what the combinations of activity of the brain shutting down looks like. And interestingly, there's a term called terminal lucidity experienced by dementia and some Alzheimer's patients moments before they pass. They go from being unresponsive for years, and then they suddenly have unexpected mental clarity and memory carrying on a completely normal and lucid conversation with their loved ones. We have no idea how this happens and haven't yet been able to simulate it. So there is just so much that we do not know about this marvelous brain that God created for us.
1: Yeah, and you know, that's an interesting thing. And as you were saying that, it and it occurred to me just for the first time, um you're saying that you know after being non non um responsive for a long time that actually happened to my father in law he was very very non responsive and we got word that suddenly he was talking and it went on for a very short period of time and then it went away mm. and it's like wait what happened and you know you get this 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 hope that could it be but it wasn't it was this 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 one piece so you know, you look at this and you say, okay, NDs are a natural experience. That's what we're saying. We're not saying that they're a paranormal experience. We're saying they're a natural experience and that the brain creates them. Now, why do we say that? Because the science seems to say that. Well, what do you do with all of the uniqueness of some of these things? We're going to get into that in the next segment, all right? So, again, please stay with us for that. But right now, let's go to the Apostle Paul because there's a question about one of the experiences the Apostle Paul actually had. And the question is, did the Apostle Paul tell us about having an out-of-body experience? You say, you know, that, you, you can play the spooky music there if you want. You know, woo-woo. did he actually have an out-of-body experience? Listen to how the Apostle Paul describes an experience that he's telling to the, the, the Corinthian church in Second Corinthians 12, verses 1 through 5. Let's do 1 through 2 to get started.
0: Boasting is necessary, though it is not profitable, but I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body, I do not know, or out of the body, I do not know.
1: God knows. Such a man was caught
0: up to the third heaven.
1: So Paul is talking about himself. He says, well, I know a man in Christ 14 years ago. He's talking about himself because if you look at the context, the Corinthians were off on some things, and he's saying, okay, you want to boast? I can boast too. I know a guy. And, and so he's using that to open the door to tell him a very specific experience. And he's relating this heavenly vision Uh, that he had 14 years before writing this, and he's being very, 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 very honest. He's expressing how real the vision was, and he's expressing his own confusion. And look, it's not normal for the Apostle Paul to be confused about much of anything. But he's expressing his confusion as to the reality of, did this really happen, or is it just a vision? And it left him with an unanswered question, and that's that's a fascinating thing. He says, you know, whether it was in the body, I don't know, or out of the body, I don't know. In other words, I saw something, I went somewhere, and it was so real, I can't tell if I wasn't really there, but it just doesn't make sense to me logically. So this is the Apostle Paul being very, very, very honest with us here. And Jonathan, let's continue his description, because he says some other things that fit this out-of-body experience type uh, circumstance, Uh, 2 Corinthians 12, verses 3 to 5.
0: And I know how such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, God knows, was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which a man is not permitted to speak. On behalf of such a man, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast,
1: except in regard to my weaknesses." (laughs) So again, he's trying to tell them the experience without appearing as boasting, and he's being typical Apostle Paul here. But here's the thing. When we listen to how he's expressing himself, whatever happened was so real that the Apostle Paul felt like he was in a different place with this experience. Now, he knew such a thing. To be transported to another place was not a natural occurrence, and he wrestled with the reality versus the vision Explanation: Did this really happen? Because it was so real that I'm telling you I was there, but yet I know that I couldn't have been there. So what do I do with that? And we have science. We have the the this understanding of physiology. The Apostle Paul is just saying, "Look, this is an experience I had, and not only that, but he says that I I, I heard inexpressible words, which a man is not permitted to speak, and that's another." a uh, thing that happens with people with NDE sometimes. They hear this, this, this wonderment that's like beyond them. So what was this? What happened to the Apostle Paul? Was he out of his body, or was he having a vision? I'm going to give you my opinion. I do believe that the Apostle Paul did have a vision, and the portions of the brain that give NDEs their realism were stimulated by God to show him the reality of God's future kingdom in a way that was so dramatic, so overwhelming, so powerful that he would never forget it. God created the human mind. He knows how to stimulate a vision that will stick with you for the rest of your life. I believe that he gave that to the apostle so he would carry this incredible understanding of the future. So I believe it was a vision. It was not an out-of-body experience, but it certainly felt that way. Jonathan, let's put this all back in perspective. Let's go back to Romans 6.23.
0: For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord.
1: The wages of sin is lifelessness. The gift of God through resurrection at the appointed time is life, but it's got to come through resurrection at the appointed time
2: it's good to listen to episode 838 how many resurrections where there'll be and basically that's who gets what and where they go <laughs> discussing the biblical classes of resurrection and also the two-part series called did god make heaven and human hell humanity's destiny episodes 1174 and 1175 and you can just type in the search bar those episode numbers in christianquestions.com or on the Christian Questions app, and it will bring up those podcast episodes. All
1: right, Julie, thank you for those. So Jonathan, life, death, and the confusion that surrounds them. Let's try to wrap up what we've talked about this segment.
0: The science behind explaining NDEs is compelling as it leaves a wide open door for human interpretation. For the vast majority of people, an NDE is a positive and calming experience. Could God have programmed the shutting down of our minds as we approach death to help
1: us cope? I wonder that. I wonder if God could have just put that in there to calm the human being down if they are, in fact, passing on to death. You just you wonder about things that we don't know the answers to. But the idea is this is happening in a physiological sense, not a paranormal sense. You know, it's amazing how modern science helps us to discover the depths of our own human minds, God's creation is magnificent
0: are there any out-of-body experiences that contradict the science and support ndes as a paranormal experience
1: one final area we need to spend some time on is something called veridical evidence this has to do with things that are claimed to have happened when a near-death patient sees and experiences things while outside their body how can you explain a brain dead person seeing things from outside of their body.
0: Well, from our research, while this vertical type is the most sensational type of NDE, it is alleged to happen very rarely compared to the millions of typical NDE experiences. Vertical NDEs are difficult to scientifically prove, and the internet is loaded with urban legends and antidotes of someone who said something, who told someone else, and therefore it has to be true. There are a handful of cases that show up again and again as, quote, proof, end quote. We will briefly introduce you to two of them.
2: So these veridical cases are, are complicated, but here's two that show up a lot. The first is called Maria's Shoe. In 1977, there was a cardiac patient in a Seattle hospital who was an out-of-town migrant worker named Maria, claimed to have an out-of-body experience, during which she saw a shoe on a ledge outside her hospital window that supposedly wasn't visible from her hospital bed. Maria described it to her social worker, and the shoe, lo and behold, was found as described. So one problem is we only have the description of the social worker with no independent account, this Maria person is untraceable, presumed dead. And in recreating it, some say the shoe would have been visible from the street and she could have consciously or subconsciously seen it as she entered the hospital. Others say that the location of the shoe was visible from the room or that there actually was no record of a Maria being in a hospital at that time. Memories fade on exactly where the shoe was found and what room it occurred from, and the building has all been since remodeled. So skeptics put holes in it, a lot of holes, but proponents think it's conclusive, but there really, at this point, isn't any way to prove what happened. So you'll see this story on both sides as their evidence. Hmm.
0: There are ongoing clinical studies where hospitals experimenting with concealed targets in operating and recovery rooms to see if patients are able to detect items that are out of view. So far, no positive results have been published.
2: That's exactly right. They're putting um, different pictures and things in places where someone from the bed would not be able to see it. But so far, no one with the NDE has been able to um, identify those things as if they had been floating around the room with vision. Um, So the second case that's frequently cited by both skeptics and proponents is that of Pam Reynolds. So in 1991, a 35 year old woman underwent a difficult procedure to remove a brain aneurysm, including hypothermic cardiac arrest. So this involved lowering her body temperature to 60 degrees, stopping her heart and breathing and draining the blood from her brain to cool it. Her heartbeat and brain activity stopped. And that's where that, well, what's dead comes into play. You know, what is the definition of death? And once she has no brain activity, the aneurysm gets removed and she survives. She reports a classic NDE with the tunnel, bright light, seeing deceased relatives. But she also has a very vivid out-of-body experience that was originally alleged to happen during the time she was clinically dead with no brain activity. So she reported being able to view the operating room from above. She described one of the tools of the bone saw that was being used, and she could recall specific conversations of the surgical team. However, when you dig down deep into this, there's a lot of facts to it, but only the details of what she heard were accurate. Visual details that couldn't have been guessed or plausibly learned after the fact weren't accurate. And there's a lot of evidence that the NDE did not occur during the time when the brain was silent. And in fact, it can be timed to almost two hours prior to flatlining. So it's now thought that her ability to perceive events during the surgery was a result of something called, very scary, anesthesia awareness. This is a rare complication of general anesthesia where patients regain varying levels of consciousness during the surgery and including explicit recall. And it can lead to, as you can imagine, post-traumatic stress disorder from the events experienced. Wow.
0: There are a lot more details to this case, uh, but anesthesiologist and NDE skeptic, Dr. G.M. Worley explains it as, quote, her experience was a product of anesthetic drugs, abnormal interpretations of bodily sensations, together with a perception of personal imminent death, all causing her body to function in such a way that she underwent a series of truly wondrous experiences.
1: So that, that's amazing. The two cases are amazing. And at face value, you go, ah, there's the proof. And then you dig. And, and folks, that's really what we need to do is dig through these things to try and understand them.
2: Yeah, and we're not saying that the people that have these NDEs aren't sincere. They are. They have had life-changing. They know for sure that this has happened. So we're not discrediting anything that they're saying. Uh, The Internet is rife with these repeating of stories, and they do become like urban legends. You you need to really take these individually. There's been hoaxes, very well-known hoaxes that have gone on. Just be a little credulous when you you are looking at these stories and – um, put, 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 uh, what we're trying to do put these pieces together.
1: Yeah, and 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 I'm glad you brought up the fact that this is a real experience for the person. So look, whether it's physiological, and you say, okay, well, it's only physiological, big deal. No, 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 no. If you had, if you if you were traumatized by the experience, you're traumatized by it. It doesn't matter what caused the trauma. You need to deal with that, and you don't minimize how you feel about it because it may have happened this way or that. So please, if 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 you're struggling with it don't interpret what we're saying as, oh, well, it's no big deal. It is a big deal, and you need to learn how to be able to cope with it and put it into your normal life. So please, please take that seriously. One, one researcher that we're going to be relying on here next is someone named Susan Blackmore. Julie, who is Susan Blackmore?
2: So Dr. Blackmore is a psychologist and visiting professor at the School of Psychology at the University of Plymouth in England. She herself has had NDEs, and she used to be what's called a parapsychologist, dedicating herself to paranormal studies. But after 30 years of not being able to prove or see any evidence for psychic phenomena, she is now considered a skeptic. And so she, with NDE cases, will um, analyze them individually to try to find out what actually happened.
1: And so we're going to go to two sound bites from Susan Blackmore being interviewed: uh, scientific evidence and the near-death experience. Here is the first couple of minutes. The near-death. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, from my understanding, uh, brain function ceases after fifteen seconds in a cardiac
0: arrest. People. Flatline and when they're brought back and they have a, a near death experience, you know, I, I wonder. And they report an enhanced consciousness during a period when they were supposed to be unconscious. How do you explain this?
3: Oh, well, I couldn't if it's true, and I don't think it is. If you read, for example, um, Pen Van Lommel, mm-hmm. will state, does state again and again in <laughs> the same words in many chapters and papers. Um, that these experiences happened when the brain had no activity. We do not know that. This is an open question. What we do know is that people have described things, um, very vivid experiences, after um, they're able to describe it sometime after the crisis is over. But that there is no case in which we know exactly when that was happening. It could be happening when... If, if the brain activity did stop and, and very, very few cases. I mean, people typically coming close to death are not doing it in a scanner or with an EEG electrodes all over them, you know. We don't know exactly when their brain stopped. We usually know when the heart stops and when the blood stops pumping around. So that's something. So let's stick with that at least. It could be that these experiences are happening as they come into that state, um, as the, 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 the heart stops in the cardiac arrest, the blood will still be moving a little bit, there'll still be oxygen in it. That could be the opportunity. Or when it starts up again, it could be starting up again then. And unless we know exactly when it was happening, then it could be one of those two. So that's really an open question. And it's disingenuous of people to say that we know that it happened when their brain wasn't. We don't know that.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and I think... And- Go ahead, Julie. By the way, she
2: mentioned uh, Mr. Pim ben Lomel. He is a cardiologist and researcher on the relationship between consciousness and the brain.
1: Yeah. And and so she she's going through this and she's trying to take it apart from a very logical perspective. And she's basically saying, look, it's, it's, it's disingenuous for people to say that we know it was when they were flatlined because we don't. And if we don't know it, please don't draw a conclusion that you have no science to base it on. Let, let's go to the, the second part of her it's a much longer discussion, but just another two minutes from her conversation about dealing with uh, scientific evidence and the near-death experience.
3: The classic idea, which would seem quite logical, is that the, if the heart stops, then the blood ceases going around in the brain. And therefore, all experiences should stop, up to a point. That it, that is so, and that's known from lots of medical studies. But there've been reports for a long time of the, some sort of burst of activity that comes rather later. So, an experiment was done in an extraordinarily um, helpful and difficult experiment in 2009 with seven people who were on life support systems with no hope of any recovery, and. It was decided to turn off the life support. Now, they had EEG electrodes and so on to ensure that they were not suffering and in pain and whatever, done very carefully. And what they saw in these experiments was that yes, the brain activity went down and then kind of flatlined, but then before it completely stopped altogether, there was a burst of activity lasting anywhere between about half, um, half a minute and three minutes which is quite a long time. Now that burst of activity would be what I'm supposing and I'm coming over all these years of research I've been doing to the view that that burst may be quite enough to, to um, produce these extraordinary experiences and would be due to hyper, hyperactivity, disorganized activity in all these different parts of the brain lasting rather briefly. Now if you're then resuscitated that's what you're going to remember. And subsequent to that, there have been experiments with rats where they've caused a cardiac arrest in the rats and measured them. And again, you get this slow tailing off and then this burst of activity um, before it goes off again. Mm-hmm. I don't know that this is the answer, but this is the kind of place to look. And t- a timing is critical. So... Don't believe when these when people say, "Oh, this person saw this when their brain had no activity." Unless they had that person in a scanner or with an ENG, EEG on them, we don't know that.
1: And, and and that's the key. The key is let's do this from a very very clear scientific perspective. And I appreciate her saying that. You know, this brain activity we don't understand it, but it could very well be the thing that stimulates something that the person would remember because there was very little activity or no activity before and after. So. Very, very fascinating uh, to, to look at this from a scientific perspective of NDEs. So now, with all of this being said, we do believe that life after death does exist, and we talked about that briefly before. However, our belief is based on the following basis of scriptural evidence. Let's run through several scriptures quickly as we wrap this up. First, Adam sinned, and we believe all inherit that sin which brought death. Romans chapter 5, verse 12.
0: Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned.
1: All right.
2: And here, we're going to be talking about the billions and billions who've never heard the name of Jesus, not, these, not the called-out ones who are the true followers of Christ in this life, right? That's the pattern right. we're going to go through. Right,
1: right, right, because that's the, 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 the main group of people in the world, frankly. So, Adam sinned, we all inherit that sin which brought death. Death, as we mentioned, is the absence of life, depicted in the description that God gave to Adam. Listen to what God says to Adam in Genesis 3:19.
0: By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you will return.
1: That is a simple, straightforward statement from God to Adam before there's any confusion, before there are any traditions, before there are any other conclusions. That's what you have. We need to accept the word of God very plainly. Death is the absence of life. Next point, Jesus came and as a perfect man offered himself for the sake of Adam and for the sake of everyone else, everyone else. Romans 5, 18 and 19, listen carefully.
0: So then as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men for as through the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners even so through the obedience of the one the many will be made righteous
1: so you have the many all it's all there everybody is included in this equation because everybody's under the sin of adam next scripture sin brings death the gift of god brings life how does it do that through resurrection how do we know Jesus told us John 5 28 and
0: 29 do not marvel at this for an hour is coming in which all who are in their tombs will hear his voice and will come forth those who have done the good deeds to a resurrection of life and those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment
1: there is a resurrection and we've discussed the accountability of that resurrection many many times on many many previous podcasts the point is that is the resuscitation out of lifelessness And that is what Jesus himself is responsible for. Resurrection does bring accountability, and that accountability will bring life. When a resurrection of judgment, here is what that resurrection of judgment is actually talking about. Jeremiah 31, 28 to 30. As
0: I have watched over them to pluck up, to break down, to overthrow, to destroy, and bring disaster, so I will watch over them to build and to plant, declares the Lord. In those days they will not say again, The fathers have eaten the sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge, but everyone will die for his own iniquity. Each man who eats the sour grapes, his teeth will be set on edge.
1: So every man will now be liable for their own sins. We are now liable, we're held liable for Adam's sin. And you say, well, that's not fair. Great. That's why the resurrection from Jesus and his ransom is there. So each of us can be liable for ourselves and make our own personal choices toward life. So... Life will bring peace and harmony. You know those NDEs give you that sense of peace and harmony. Life in Christ, eventually after resurrection, will bring peace and harmony with God, who incidentally is called the Father of Lights. Remember that tunnel that brings you to that warm light. Here's how God is described in James one sixteen to seventeen.
0: Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow.
1: So, as we in those NDEs see that light, if you will, again, this is physiological, but we see it in all different ways, there is no shifting in the light that God brings, and God is. And here's the good, and here's the perfect, and these are the things that God will do. Let's look at our final scripture, Revelation 21 4. And God shall wipe
0: away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are
1: passed away. That's the goodness of the future life because of Jesus' sacrifice.
2: So is a near-death experience all about physiology? Is it satanic influence deceiving people because Satan is called the father of lies, Or are we actually peering into the afterlife? What do you think?
1: I truly believe it's all about physiology. Having said that, Satan can use it as a tool. He can because we don't understand it and it feels like something. He can use it as a tool, but it is not inherently a tool of Satan. It's inherently a physiological process of the human mind and body. And we need to understand it that way, but be aware that Satan can use this as a tool of deception. So let's put that in perspective. So, Jonathan, as we wrap this up, life, death, and the confusion that surrounds them, what do we have?
0: Once again, we see the whole matter of life, death, and the possibility of an afterlife put into an understandable sequence by searching science and the Bible. The answer we now have not only satisfies
1: our curiosity, they give great hope for the future. And folks, really, that's what we're talking about here. There is great hope for the future. Near-death experiences are real things in that they happen and you remember them and they change people's lives. So if you know somebody who's had one or you've had one yourself and you're having a hard time dealing with it, deal with it. Yes, it's physiological, but it doesn't minimize whatever trauma it may have brought upon you. And realize that the gift of God can be eternal life, but that comes through Jesus. That's different than an NDE. So let's put our physical experiences in a place and deal with them and deal with the emotional unrest we may have, but also put God's plan in place and realize that in the end, the end result will be the opportunity of life, the great light of God for everyone. Think about it. Folks, listen, we really do want to hear from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions on this episode or other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our podcast is subscribing to Christian Questions and your favorite podcast channels such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcast. please rate us and review us. we greatly appreciate it. Coming up next week, entirely different subject. Are there secrets— Are there secrets to studying the Bible? Talk to you then.